Thank you for the thank you for praying with one another like this. I think there's so, such great power in that. Two people, uh, two or more people raising up requests like that, and uh, I have people almost weekly telling me how much they appreciate our church praying for for these different uh, different situations. But also, I was mean to mention it, but pray for the kids program. You know, that's a that's an important part of our Wednesday night services over there um, tonight. Uh, my son Tim is preaching to the teens. I love working with the interns this summer. It's it's really neat to watch how they really take it serious when they're pre. I mean that that is like the creme de la creme of their ministry. And so they, I mean he's he's spent hours and hours. And of course they're both preaching Sunday night here. And man, they've been working and plugging away at that. So um, love to see how the, how serious they take that because it is a it is a serious thing. And so that's good. Uh, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 22 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Um, we are going to have a two-part on on this gentleman that we're speaking of tonight. Um, one of Saul's cronies. Um, but while you turn to 1 Samuel 22, George Washington said, Associate yourself with men of good quality. If you esteem your reputation... For it is better to be alone than in bad company. So if you want a good reputation, hang around people that have good character quality, is what he's saying. William Gladstone, that great, uh, he was the one that fought slavery in, in uh, England. Uh, he said, choose wisely your companions, for a man's companions more than his food and clothes, his home or his parents, make him what he is. That's a truth. Uh, we can tell a lot about a man by the friends he keeps and by who he spends time with. Now, the friends and the trusted associates of Saul uh, tell us a lot about him. And the one we're going to look at tonight was no better than him. And it's that way with bad company. It tends to bring everybody to its base. And that's why you want to avoid it. You don't want to be around people of low character, bad reputation, because uh, you've probably all seen it as a teenager. I probably saw this a dozen times in different uh, preaching situations where they illustrate uh, how much easier it is when you have a person on a chair to pull him down off the chair than it is for the man to pull him up onto the chair. Uh, somebody half my size, uh, that's a four-year-old, could pull me down uh, and it would take much more effort for me to pull them up. That's how it is in friendship. It's easy to pull people down. It's hard to pull people up. And so to protect ourselves, we ought to be around the right type of friends. So tonight, we talk about a fella named Doeg. Um, he could drop the E and just be dog, because that's kind of how he acted, but his name is Doeg. Let's look at verse number 6 of chapter 22. When Saul heard that David was discovered and the men were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then said Saul to his servants that stood by him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me. You have to cry there, because it sounds like he was. Or showeth me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it was as at this day. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath, 
the Philistine. We're going to talk, look tonight at Doeg. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look at this story, at least the beginning part, and draw from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of uh, this, this fellow Doeg, it's, it's tragic that Saul would choose a friend like him. And now we're going to talk about Doeg's as the man tonight, knowing that I, I assume you've read the story before. You know what he's about to do. They're going to kill the priest, uh, Ahimelech and the priest. We're, we're going to get to that, but not tonight. But uh, Doeg was a despicable, evil man. And it's tragic that Saul would choose him as a friend and reject David, who is God's anointed to be the next king. Doesn't that tell you a lot about Saul, though? Uh, they don't want to be around good people. They want to be around evil people. When I was raising daughters, and uh, that, that has its fun times, amen, and as they're going through teen years, um, I was very concerned for one of my daughters uh, who was not attracted, just had, didn't have a natural attraction to good people. I mean, it was just a, a natural attraction to losers, but not good people. And, and, then, and then another one of my daughters, it was a totally different story, but, but that's how some people are. They just are drawn towards the baser sort, and others are drawn to, towards uh, people of character. We ought to spend time with, uh, what is, I forget who said it, but a company, always a company, uh, always spend time in the company of your betters, I think something like that. We'll find somebody, I want to be around people better than me so that I can better myself. And that's why I never hang around with Corey. I'm just I'm, I'm just kidding. He, you just look like you needed to be woke up there, brothers. I, I am just joking. I love to hang around with him. Um, but this is this shows how wicked Saul is, that he would want to spend time with somebody like Doeg. It is nigh impossible to live the right life by spending time with the wrong people. You're just not going to do it. You have to surround yourself with the right people. That's why it's so important for the local church. I I, I get frustrated sometimes because I have certain people that come in routinely for counseling and uh, life's a mess. They're just, you know, everything's going wrong, and they just won't come to church. They just won't come to church. Oh, this is going bad, and that's going bad. They want to come and unload problems, but they don't want to take... They want to come to the doctor, but they don't want to take his medication. You know, that type of people. So my first thing, get plugged in at a good local church. Get around God's people. Your, your life changes when you get yourself in the right environment. But let's look at Doeg. And uh, I want to... This is going to be the darkest time, I believe... Looking at Saul's life, this is his darkest time. Uh, when you kill people in the ministry, that's a pretty dark time, okay? And this is what he's going to do. But let's look at, uh, break it down, the complaint here that inspired Doeg. He seems to be a man without conscience. He was evil. All he needed was a reason, and he'd do anything no matter how sick it was, as we'll see later on. Uh, the circumstances were here that David uh, or Saul is seeking after David, and David has now been discovered. Somebody told Saul whether he had spies out there looking for him or whether it was word of mouth or the grapevine, whatever it was, um, he had heard where David was. And Saul had pursued David to Naoth, trying to kill him. And the effort had failed because his own son, Jonathan, had helped him and had uh, uh, informed him of Saul's intentions. So some time has gone by now since that incident. In the meantime, David has been moving around just wherever he has to go for safety. And uh, now it says that he was discovered. Uh, the, look at where Saul was. He, it says he, in uh, verse 2, Saul tarried, uh, or Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah. This is the second time we see Saul uh, 
in common vernacular, in, in modern vernacular, chilling under a tree. Okay, this is the second time we see this. In chapter 14, verse 2, it says he tarried in the uttermost parts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Uh, there, this, that time he was sitting under a tree when Jonathan was attacking a Philistine garrison by himself with his servant and, and had a great victory, but Saul is taking it easy. Sitting in the shade was more appealing to Saul than doing his duty, and that's a problem, especially as a leader. When you are, uh, are David, the anointed of God, is living the life of a fugitive and places like caves and other places like that, First Samuel chapter 21 talks about that, and here's Saul, uh, the wicked ruler, living in comfort. He is uh, uh, under a tree in the shade. And it's frustrating for us sometimes when wicked rulers are found in places of comfort while the righteous people suffer in poverty and in uh, discomfort. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. Amen? I mean, we like, we like to be comfortable. That's not nothing wrong with that per se. But when comfort becomes more important than duty, then you're going to head for trouble. Uh, I give you an example. David, remember that? Uh, he was at home when the kings were in battle. At the time when kings were in battle, should have been out on the battlefield. But instead of being out in the battlefield where he was supposed to be, he was in the comfort of his own home, took a walk up on the roof, and he saw something he shouldn't have seen. It led to adultery and murder and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, let's just be about our duty. Let's not be so worried about comfort as we are about doing our duty. I, I find this interesting too. He said, having his, this is verse 6 still, having his spear in his hand. Saul uh, liked that spear. He always had the spear in his hand. That's how he was able to throw it at David three times. He's sitting in his house, uh, I guess when he's just sitting in his easy chair, uh, he also has a spear in his hand, or javelin at that time, and throwing it at David three times. Earlier in Saul's reign in chapter 13, 22, it says, in the day of battle, this is interesting, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people that were with Saul and Jonathan. In other words, the populace was disarmed, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son, was there found. They were armed, the people were not. Wicked rulers are always like that. Wicked rulers don't like to arm their people. They want to be armed. Isn't that frustrating when we see uh, all the battle in our nation today trying to outlaw uh, our ability to be armed? But it's usually by people who have bunches of security guards with bunches of money and bunches of walls around their house and armed guards and all that. Uh, nothing wrong with them having it, but they don't want their people. That's wickedness. That's wicked rulers. And this was Saul. He was uh, one of those wicked rulers. It is never a good leader that takes uh, the arms from his citizens. Then uh, there also his servants. He said all his servants there were standing about him. This included soldiers, messengers, minions of all sorts. Uh, he was uh, Saul, as we see, as he begins his little pity party speech here. He is arrogant, he's selfish, and he's ungrateful to all those under him. And this, again, is common with wicked leaders. Look at verse 7. He makes a comparison. Then Saul said to his servants that stood around him, Hear ye now, Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards, make ye all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? He commences his attack on David by comparing, or basically he's appealing for their loyalty through political cronyism. Now, is David going to give you stuff? He's going to lie in your pockets like I'm willing to do? His appeal was not to character uh, for loyalty, but his appeal here was basically quid pro quo. You do for me and I'll do for you. Saul seems to think that this is the only thing that motivates people. Why? Why would he think that? Because it's the only thing that motivates him. That's what we do. We 
put, we project our sin onto other people. You ever notice that? Selfish people always think other people are selfish. Gossips always think other people are talking about them. Liars don't trust anybody. They think everybody's lying to them. Thieves, man, they, they think everybody's going to steal from them. That's what people do. They project their sin on somebody else. And so uh, he's comparing how he could benefit his followers compared to what David do for, did for him. And this is what he says. He could give them property, says fields. He could give them prosperity when he said vineyards. And he could give them position, uh, captain of thousands and captain of hundreds. These are the things I can give you. Uh, David can't give you any of those things. He was wrong. Later, David not only gave these folks property, and I'm talking about his people, property, prosperity, and position. He also gave them peace, power, and piety. <laughs> he gave them, he brought righteousness back to the nation. Saul could do these things as, uh, he, he couldn't even do these things as a king because he was too uh, de deficient of all they think. I mean, the nation was poor. Everything was uh, falling apart under him. And that's what happens. Again, Proverbs 14, 34. Uh, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's always beneficial to people when righteous people are in charge. Always. It's never beneficial when wicked people are in charge. And uh, we'll see that as comparing Saul to David. And then he starts to whine in verse 8. All of you have conspired against me. There is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. There is none of you that is sorry for me. Isn't that, isn't that pathetic? How pathetic is that? Here is a king. None of you feel sorry for me. Uh, or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day, at this day. So he tries to complain to his servants with three accusations. He tries to make his servants look bad. But can you read that verse and not be disgusted at Saul himself? I'm not feeling at all bad about, I mean, I'm not looking down on the servants. I'm just thinking, what a whiner he is. And all, that's often the case that whiners and complainers make themselves work, look worse in their complaining than the things they're complaining about, often in our life. Saul's accusations here, they're so pathetic. All they do is make him look like a big old baby, make him look bad. He, he talked about the conspiracy complaint. All of you can, have conspired against me. This is a ridiculous charge, and it's completely offensive to all them that are listening. They're there with him, aren't they? And he's saying they're all conspiring against him. And, of course, that's what wickedness does. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. I always wonder what that verse meant when I was a kid. I, I get a better understanding of it. I want to see how people act. Um, you know, wickedness, you're always looking behind, you're always suspecting people are going to expose you. There's always that fear, and they flee when no man pursueth. These servants with him have been with him. They've stuck with him despite all his demented behavior against David. But Saul was so jealous about David that he saw a conspiracy in every situation. And again, evil men have a habit of being quick to suspect evil in others because we project, we project ourselves onto other people. Saul accuses his servant, his servants here, of, of, of hiding a conspiracy about Jonathan with David and their ridiculous conspiracy. Was David trying to kill Saul? No. And by the way, he's going to have two opportunities coming up and he doesn't take either one of them. And yet he says here that Jonathan is urging David to lie in wait to kill Saul. That's what his claim is. Nobody's lying in wait for him. 
He's the one trying to kill David, not the other way around. But wicked, selfish people, uh, again, put their own sin on the ones they hate. And then the callousness complaint. There's none of you that is sorry for me. Boo, hoo, hoo. Get this man his binky. Uh, whining like a little baby. This is so pathetic. It shows how selfish and hypocritical Saul is. He's the one who has no compassion for others. He's the one who is completely self-absorbed. He has been cruel toward David. When David has done nothing but good for him, he whines that no one's being compassionate toward him. And selfish people like Saul here only focused on how others treat them, never on how they treat others. It's always that way. And, and, and just that to help you tonight, when, whenever in your spirit, when it comes to church, church life, whenever in your spirit or in your family, when you start to focus here, how people are treating me, how people, how, what somebody said to me, or why didn't she look at me, or why did she say that to me, 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 you're, you're headed for trouble. We've got to be outward because inward focused people are easily offended. And every little thing means something. Always trying to apply what somebody said. It could be innocent, but they'll interpret it differently. And uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I, I start to sense coldness or, is there some, or there's just an all-out meeting call or something, and, and we get into a conversation, and, and something that was completely benign and off the cuff and didn't even think about it, and they've been brooding on it for three months, you know. And, and uh, But let's not be so easily offended, But but that's... That's what selfish people do. I'm not saying only if you've ever been offended, you're selfish. You know what I mean. But, but selfish people are very easily offended. And uh, it's all about me. Me, me, me. And this is what Saul, you, it's all focused on him. And if you, if you ever have spent time with somebody who's very easily offended, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Who likes to be around people like that? You've got to be careful what you say. What's the phrase? Walking around on eggshells, trying not to offend them. Nobody wants to be around somebody like that. Let's not be that person. Focus outward, and you won't be so easily offended. Just focus on others. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't be so caught up on yourself. Live for others. A truly, listen to this statement, a truly humble person is not easily offended. A humble person isn't. Somebody says, I don't think you're as spiritual as you think you are. You're right. I'm not, because humility doesn't get offended. Proud people get offended really easily. But humble people, they don't get offended near as much. Saul was a proud person. Bill Kellogg said this. This is so true. If you are on a continuous search to be offended, you'll always find what you're looking for. <laughs> isn't that the truth? Uh, even if it isn't there, you'll find it. You'll find it. My goodness, it's a crying shame how fragile people are today, isn't it? I mean, you people are just, I mean, they make whole TikTok videos on or, or channels on how to be offended. And the more our society moves to self-worship, the more offended they'll be. Did you catch what Dr. Getch said when he was preaching last week? Uh, I, I, this was just kind of a moment for me. The last days said, doesn't say anything about the trans movement. Doesn't say anything about uh, wicked governments or, you know, all the things we like to complain about. He said the sign of the last days is when men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know what the, you know what the original meaning for the Greek of that verse is? 
when men shall make TikTok videos of themselves. That's what it says originally, I think. I think let's say it could, amen? But aren't we becoming lovers of our own selves in our society? It is me, 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 me. And uh, it's, that's a, that, that just made me stop and think when he said that. That's a good point because uh, we like to make a big deal about other things, and that's true, but lovers of their own selves. The communicate, look what Doeg says, verse 9. Uh, he complains, or he, he, he starts to tattle on David to Saul here. And he, he does, by the way, he gives him news about where David was. Could have said it earlier. We'll get to that in a little bit. But who was he? Well, he's an Edomite, the Bible says. This is a descendant of Esau, uh, who is called Edom in Genesis 36.1, the father of the Edomites in Genesis 36.9. Uh, this casts a shadow on his character. The Edomites were not friendly to God's people. They were not godly people. Uh, yet he was an associate of Saul, and that would be an odd thing, thinking that Saul is the king of Israel. But when you add to the fact that Saul is not a good man, and he doesn't spend time with godly people, he has thrown Samuel aside. He has He's trying to kill David, so he's, he's uh, separated himself from the prophet of Israel, He's separated himself from the future king, God's chosen king of Israel, and so he's going to surround himself with wicked people. And uh, it's not that odd when Saul is alienated from God, which God said he was, when he is when his uh, line has been cut off by God, that he would start to send, spend time with godless people. When you separate yourself from God and God's people, it won't be long till you are in with the wrong crowd. It's just natural. Uh, I've I've sat across people that are leaving church for whatever reason. They're just not going to stop coming to church. And I always, I, by the way, people might disagree with this. I never ask people to stay. If they come, by the time they come to me and announce they're leaving, that's a decision long made. I don't try to get people to stay. I'll counsel them if they're asking, but I don't, I don't want somebody to stay because I asked them to. I want them to stay because God wants them here. Amen. So, uh, but but I, I will counsel them that nothing good ever happens by separating yourself from God and God's people. And I've seen it over and over and over. And, you know, you, I take no joy in it, but there are some times that I could sit probably and write on a page, a piece of paper, what's going to happen. In fact, I told one couple about two years ago, um, you know, you, the decision's been made, but let me just tell you what's going to happen if you, take, if you go down this route. And I named about four or five things, unfortunately. It's all come to pass. Not that I take any joy in it, but it's just because that's what happens when we separate ourselves from God and God's people. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. We're going to go south always in our life. Oh, where are we? Um, Saul's character was comfortable with an Edomite character. There's a problem here that he could spend time with Doeg and be comfortable. Again, this is a great spiritual barometer. Where are we comfortable? If we feel out of place at church and we fit in at the bar, this is a problem, okay? Uh, we should feel comfortable on God's people. In the world, in a, in a bar, in a club, or in, in, in a wicked place, we ought to feel as out of place as a ham sandwich in a synagogue. We shouldn't fit in, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but bad people make friends with bad people, and good people ought to make friends with good people. Uh, his uh, position here, it says, and we're running out of time, but he was set over the servants of Saul. 
Earlier, it says that Doeg was the chief of the, chief of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. Neither one of them were low, lowly positioned. So here's an Edomite that had a high position in Saul's administration. Now he's been promoted again uh, to be over all the servants of Saul. I think today we would call that a chief of staff. Uh, it's kind of like if our president put uh, a, China per, a Chinaman in, in the uh, chief of staff position, you know, say a, a resident of China or whatever. That hasn't happened yet, has it? I don't think. Uh, hopefully it won't. But uh, y- you know what I mean. Somebody who's not of God's people and put, it, put them in, in, his, in that position. This is not a lowly position. Uh, and then we're not going to go there but for sake of time, but Psalm 52 is an interesting psalm. It's written about Doeg, and it talks about his, uh, it talks about his proud tongue, his perverted tongue, his painful tongue, thy tongue like a sharp razor. Why hast thou boasted thyself into mischief? And uh, it, it uh, breaks down what kind of person that Doeg was. And uh, let, let's just turn there real quick. We have, we have about three minutes. I'll, I'll make this really quick, and then we'll just close out. Uh, from Psalms, but in uh, in the beginning, if you'll notice, in the beginning of the Psalm, it says that it's the Psalm when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David has come to the house of Abimelech. So, right here at this point uh, in in Doeg's life is when is is what David's writing about here in uh, Psalm chapter fifty two. Um, it talks about Doeg's tongue being a proud tongue, verse one, a perverted tongue, in verse two. Uh, thy tongue deviseth mischiefs, it worketh deceitfully. And then a painful tongue, thy tongue like a sharp razor. Uh, his words not only uh, gave wounds in the spirit, but it also in the body. He, Eighty-five priests are going to be killed shortly because of Doeg. And can I tell you tonight, our words have so much power. The Bible calls them weapons of war. Our words can be weapons of war. Remember that that your words can be tremendous weapons of destruction or they can be tools of construction. You can use them in a positive or a negative way. Uh, You can ruin someone's day or you can make someone's day. You can destroy someone's spirit or you can inspire them to do great things, all with the mouth. You're familiar with the term Karen. Okay, I always feel sorry for ladies named Karen these days, but uh, if you are just a horrible, screeching uh, person at the store, you know, ad, uh, demanding to see a manager and screaming at people, they call you a Karen. And I'm just saying tonight, don't be a Karen, uh, unless your name is Karen, and then we'll, we'll then change the change the perception. Just be really nice, okay? Um, but uh, the tongue of Doeg. Then we see the judgment of Doeg um, in, in chapter in verse five. It says it'll be swift. You shall pluck thee out of thy dwelling place. It'll be shameful. The righteous shall see and shall laugh at him. Verse six. It'll be severe. Verse five. God shall destroy thee forever. Doeg had his day in the limelight. Uh, he was in Saul's eyes the man for a while. But judgment always comes. It'll always come to the wicked. And uh, Doeg's motives for what he did, uh, they were for, for personal advancement. He was a selfish person like Saul was a selfish person. Uh, but uh, judgment came, as it will for all of us. And uh, so I just ask you tonight, what kind of friends are you surrounding yourself with? And remember 
that they are, they're going to make you or break you, your friends. They'll be, and, and it's all, I try to explain to my kids, in, in a friend group, you really take the lowest common denominator, you take the lowest one in the group, and that's what the temperature that, that will end up. It's just so rare that people pull others up. Uh, now, there's ways to do it. I'm just saying as, if, if we allow ourselves to be influenced uh, on, on others. We have my, my daughter right now is, uh, spin, is becoming a friend with a girl at work, and she's here tonight. And uh, so I always encourage her, um, you know, bring her to church. She can come to our house. Now, my daughter doesn't go to her house, you know, there's, uh, because we want to, just what I'm talking about tonight. But you, you can spend time on our turf, and uh, so she is. She's coming to church, spending some time with her, and we're, we're praying that the Lord will do something in her heart and life. So be a friend, but be careful who your close acquaintances are and who your influence is, because that's so important. We become who our friends are. And we don't want to, so, you know, have good ones. That'll be, a, that'll be a good thing if you have good ones, amen? And uh, that's a good part about the local church. Thank you, Father, for the text.